Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade. Thanks, everyone, for joining us again for this Baseball America College Podcast. Back again by no one's demand, I'm John Manuel. Back by popular demand are Ted Cahill and Mike Lanana. And, of course, our college baseball coverage and our podcasts are sponsored by Louisville Slugger. Power in numbers. Check them out at Slugger Nation on social media. Guys, uh, not a lot of change. And, in fact, the first week all season where we didn't drop a team from our Baseball America Top 25 rankings, we certainly thought about it toward the back. We'll talk about some of the fallers later in the podcast, but... It's definitely steady as she goes at the top. We've got Oregon State. This is, what, the 10th straight week the Beavers have been number one in our rankings? I believe that's correct. And then we have Louisville, which owns the two longest winning streaks after Oregon State. And Louisville currently on the nation's longest win streak with 15 games in a row for the Cardinals at one and two. Uh, North Carolina holds steady at three. The guys, Teddy, you can take this first. It feels like there's one and two, and then there's a decent-sized gap, and that's no disrespect to North Carolina, but it really feels like Oregon State and Louisville have separated themselves from the crowd, and both with uh, big-time sweeps this weekend, Oregon State of rival Oregon and Louisville on the road at Clemson. Yeah, I uh, when, when you first said that, you know, I thought, you know, I, I still think Carolina's there, and, you know, Texas Tech isn't that far off either. You know, they're, they're both really solid. But the more I've thought about this, the more I think that, yes, Louisville and Oregon State have separated. Like, I can't find um, – flaws with either of those teams like there there are there are no holes there like those are complete teams top to bottom they've got the bullpen they've got the starters they've got the offense they've got the defense and you know you can nitpick and find some some stuff with Carolina that's not great and Texas Tech is still a little banged up at full strength Texas Tech has very few holes but you know they got to get back to full strength before you know they're they're there so yeah I, I think it's fair that um, Louisville and Oregon State have separated, and their records show it. You know, they're sitting on 40-plus wins with single-digit losses for both of them. Their records are insane. They're 87-10 and 10 combined. <laughs> it, it's, really, it's really nuts. And, you know, Oregon State's already won the Pac-12. They wrapped that up on Friday. Louisville's uh, won their division and has a two-game lead on North Carolina for the overall ACC championship, which they should wrap up this weekend. And if they are able to do that... Um, you know, then they would have won the league uh, two times in their first three years since joining. I, I am astounded by this. I, I looked this up yesterday. They absolutely run the run, run the, the ACC. ACC since joining the league. They're seventy and seventeen, 
Miami has 56 wins in that span. Virginia has 50. No one else has won even 50 games. And Louisville's sitting out there at 70 and 17 in the last three years in this conference. It's absurd. And, I mean, th- those two teams are rolling right now. Um, you know, and, and they are clearly, I think, the, the one and two teams in the country. Mike, you've seen Oregon State. You've seen Louisville. Uh, you just saw Louisville most recently this weekend. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, which team impressed you most in person? And then uh, we can you know, segue that a little bit into Louisville, kind of how that, how that series was swept. Right. Uh, of those two teams, I mean, Oregon State was the one that's impressed me more. I would say I haven't seen them in person, and our, our, obviously our rankings reflect that with them at number one. Just, just watching how dynamic they are and, you know, just watching Madrigal and Grenier up, up the middle alone is, is an exciting experience just to watch those two, what they're able to do. and then That feels like the first separator with that y- team. Yeah. No offense to anyone else's middle infield. They're so strong up the middle. And Adley Rushman's been great this year as, as a freshman catcher for and them. And he's starting to hit now, too. Yeah, because yeah. he was hitting under 200 for a while. That's not the case anymore. It seems like his Pac-12 play has gone on. Adley Rushman has picked things up. I just still love the fact that he kicked a 63-yard field goal in high school. I mean, he, he was kind of a big deal that way. <laughs> I mean, he still far. kicks. Yeah, he's, he's right. really, really good. But that's that's real. Yeah. Sixty three yards is far. Oh yeah, uh, it's further than I can kick it for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just the the depth on Oregon State. I mean, it's kind of similar to, to me to what Louisville was last year, just in terms of the, there's so many different layers to that team and a lots of, a lot of different configurations that they can go with from a position player standpoint. And then you look at that pitching staff. You add Drew Rasmussen back into that mix. And right. He started this weekend. Made his first start since last year. They already have Luke Heimlich, who has a microscopic ERA and has been, you know, so great for them this year. Jake Thompson, probably not probably, he's the best Sunday starter in the country in yes. terms of his stats and in terms of his stuff and what he's done this year. Brady Sinner says what's up. <laughs> well, I or uh, sorry, Jackson Coar says yeah. what's up. Yeah, well, Jake Thompson's been really, really, His really stats really are definitely good. better. Yeah. Those are two good ones. His stats are better. Um, but, yeah, so for me, Oregon State, I, I just I didn't see any holes with them whatsoever. Louisville, obviously, they had the best player in the country in Brennan McKay, although he struggled a little bit this weekend, at least from a stuff standpoint on the mound. He still got the results, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, Louisville, they're not, obviously they're not as deep as they were a year ago. Last year they were more complete, but you know, you take away some of that depth and you still have a really strong core with them. You still have a really potent middle of the order, the way Drew Ellis has been hitting. He was continued to rake this weekend. Colby Fitch hit three home runs, um, three Colby Jacks. <laughs> that's, uh, a good, that's a good nickname. Yeah. We'll allow it. Uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely, uh, they're a fun team to watch as well. Well-coached team. That staff does an excellent job of just player development in general. So, you know, and obviously to go to Clemson and sweep Clemson on the road is, is no easy feat, um, especially in that ballpark and that atmosphere. It's a great atmosphere all weekend. So certainly those two teams have separated themselves, but I don't think, uh, kind of what Teddy was saying, I don't think, you know, that teams like Carolina and Texas Tech and all that are super, super far. There's separation, though. Uh, there, there's no doubt there. But I, I could see, you know, any of those teams contending for a title near is, the end of the year. Is Louisville actually not as deep as they were last year? I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I don't see an area of the team that isn't where it was last year. I mean, there may be individual players, like Corey Ray's replacement is not Corey Ray in the outfield, obviously. But, I you know, I see just as strong of a pitching staff. I see an incredibly deep lineup. They go one to nine. 
just like they did last year. Um, I don't know. I mean, they may, they may not, the, the top, I feel like the top of their team isn't quite as electric as it was last year, but it does feel like. I don't think it's like have, a stark difference. I, I just I just do think last year, I mean, all these players that are starring this year were role players last year. And, well, not all of them, but some of them are. But, and I mean, like, I, there is no Corey Ray. Like, I get that. But, like, Tyler Fitzgerald is essentially a role player on this team, and he's going to be a star next year. And like that's how they do it. Right. I mean, like, that was Devin yeah. Mann a year ago. And, you know, Drew Ellis stepped into a larger role this year after Blake Tiberi left. And, you know, Colby Fitch has, you know, he's not going to go where Will Smith went in the draft, but he's taken on the everyday catcher role just fine. Like, I, I don't see an appreciable difference in the depth. Maybe we haven't seen some of these players as much as we saw last year's uh, depth because Devin Mann had to play second base a little bit more when Solak got hurt and, and stuff like that. But I, I think it's still there at the same level. And the thing is, like, you look at last year's team, just from the numbers, is how you guys have seen them more. They're a little bit. They were a little deeper last year in the lineup. They had like seven guys. Like you, several times they'd roll out nine guys who hit 300 last year. They don't do that this year. They have three 300 hitters, and then there's power, and there's other there's other offensive players who are uh, who contribute. But this lineup is pretty much like you know Ellis and McKay are way up here, and this is the podcast. You can't see, but I'm reaching my <laughs> hand really high. Yeah. Um. So those two guys are here, and the rest of it is. Role players, but this is definitely like Devin Harrison's a good third wheel. But those two guys, McKay and Ellis, drive the train offensively for them. And again, on the mound, McKay at the start, Hensman at the back. They do have other good pieces, but last year you kind of had that one-two punch a little bit more um, with Funkhauser and McKay. If, at least it yeah. felt like it. And the and ACC pitcher of the year, Harrington. Andrew Harrington. There was a little bit more definition. Like Kate McClure, I know is good, but he's not. Gonna be the ACC pitcher of the year like Harrington might not being last and, year. And I mean, the thing is, is Caden McClure, you know, he was their midweek starter last right. year going 12 and 0. I mean, I, it just, they, they, I just felt like last year is like an embarrassment of riches, and this year is more just like a very, very, very deep team. And the thing is, this is a good, this is a very deep, this is a deep team. Last year's was kind of absurd. Yeah, <laughs> really. last year. That's the bigger question. That's more, really the only, the only way we're yeah, disagreeing, I think, Teddy. That, just how, that's more the reflection. Last year is just like insanely deep. <laughs> people who have listened to this podcast for more than a year now will remember that I was not as high on Louisville ever last year as you guys were. So maybe this is just a continuation of me not seeing yeah. Louisville last year's team at the same level that you guys did. That's possible. They were really, to me, offensively really stinking good last year. I mean, again, Blake Tiberi hitting 10 home runs. And, you know, I just kind of like on the side, Danny Rosenbaum is kind of like, oh, by the way, <laughs> their first baseman also has 10 home runs. And he had seven. He's a mistake hitter. But if you, miss, if you screw up, he'll... You hold park one, so I but, feel like that entire starting lineup could have gotten hurt last year, and they have another starting lineup. But, ready to go. but the thing is, like to me, is the player development aspect that you mentioned. Uh, that to me is the big key for them. Like Colin Lyman is a useful offensive player now. He's not an out. He's not. He's not going to burn you necessarily. But you don't. I wouldn't put him on base because he can steal a bag. He's a really good defender. Logan Taylor was kind of you know. That extra guy again, not a home run guy, but he's got twenty steals this year. He's efficient. He gets on base. Yeah, it just feels like they do really uh, a tremendous. I mean, Colby Fitching was a part time guy last year. Now he's the primary catcher. Sure, he's not as athletic as Will Smith, but he's got real power. Three home runs you said this weekend, mm-hmm. and again Ellis is a great advantage of a great example of this. Like red shirt, a guy who hit eleven home runs last summer with uh, the Northwoods League, but hit two twenty five. Now this guy's really. 
he's hitting his way up the draft list pretty high. So that, to me, is what stands out about Louisville. They, uh, they're very much in this Virginia vein of – Virginia goes to the Northeast. They go to the Upper Midwest with Louisville. They get the Chicago kids, the Illinois, Ohio's. They get these athletic, multi-sport baseball players, plus some of the top just baseball-only guys. And they meld them into – and they shape them into baseball players. They're, it feels like, again, the, the player development aspect at Louisville is really to be commended. And uh, it's athletic, it's versatility. Um, but I, I'm just stunned at, at how they've, they've hit their peak as a program while going into this tougher league. That's not usually how it works. It usually takes programs a little bit to ramp up to. I know it sounds like we're dissing the American <laughs> – by saying this, the American Conference is a very difficult league, but they, they won the Big East the last year they were in the Big East. They won the American the one year they were there, went to the ACC, went 26-4 and in their first year there, and they've just kept it up, which is really hard to do. I think what's interesting about these two teams being the top two teams is that their primary pipeline of talent is not what we would consider talent-rich areas. Oregon right. State lives in the mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest. Like They will dip down and, and go and get kids. You know, Madrigal's from California, Grenier's from uh, Vegas, baby. And uh, KJ Harrison's from Hawaii, but a lot, primarily, they're Pacific Northwest kids. And Louisville can dip down some, uh, and they will do it, but primarily they're living in Kentucky and Ohio and Indiana and Pennsylvania and Illinois. And, um, you know, they're finding the best players there. They're doing a great job at identifying, both teams are doing a great job at identifying the talent there. And I know both. Both sets of coaches think that the talent they're bringing in is high level, you know, just as high level as, as what some of the more talent rich states are producing. But they are also developing it. Uh, you know, it, it is it's a recruiting effort from Nate Yeski at Oregon State and Eric Snyder at Louisville, but it yeah. is also development for sure. Yeah, I, I think those two. Um, well, that's how you get to be number one and number two. Um, the, the the movers in this week's rankings, uh, guys. Let's talk about those teams a little bit. As we we're, we're talking about how it was kind of static at the top. Uh, the biggest mover this weekend was uh, LSU. Uh, I'm using their proper first name. They'll be very excited about that. Um, but LSU, I mean, we've basically been talking about this kind of the SEC. We've got the, the, two, the top two teams in the East have pretty consistently for the whole season been Kentucky and Florida. Those are the, We have those are the top two ranked teams from that league. The West has been, we've basically been riding the hot hand in the rankings. This week, that hot hand is LSU. They sweep Auburn. Auburn, we'll talk about later how they've, they've kind of fallen off a bit. They're down at 25. They're almost really on the bubble. Honestly, let's talk about Auburn for a second, guys. <laughs> is, is Auburn a, an NCAA tournament team right now? Because this is not a great RPI team. And 32-21, and 21, they're barely hanging into the rankings, really because they were six a couple weeks ago. Um, fourth a couple weeks fourth ago. Fourth a couple weeks ago. I mean, like... What do you do with a problem like Auburn that has a worse RPI right now than Tennessee? So Auburn is at 14 and 13 in the league still. They win one game this weekend, and they get to 15 and 15. And their RPI is still going to be hanging around in the 40s minimally. So 5C team gets in pretty that much. Is, that's a tournament team. 15 and 15 in the SEC with a decent enough RPI, that team is in. Um, now if they get swept this weekend again and then go to Hoover and continue to play poorly, then it becomes much more complicated for them. Um, but the, you know, the back half of the SEC, we've had up to 10 teams at times in, from the SEC in the field, 
And there's some teams trying to play their way out of it right now. Auburn's obviously moving in the wrong direction. Ole Miss is moving in the right direction, but I, they're still not bubble safe yet. And South Carolina, by far, is moving in the wrong direction. They lost another series. Uh, and yet they still have a pretty reasonable chance. They just win a series this weekend. They go to 14-16. and 16. Not even sweep. Just win a series. You're 14-16 and 16 in the SEC. Their RPI is still 30. That might be good enough. Um, so I was about to ask about South Carolina because to me that's that's a real question. Their body of work is it's not, not good. good. It's they've they've lost now seven straight SEC series. I mean, you say all they have to do is win a series. They haven't done it in seven weeks. Oh, so. it's going to be <laughs> difficult, no doubt about it. <laughs> and Georgia's I, yeah. playing well. Georgia is coming. They're playing Georgia at home this weekend, and Georgia is coming off of series wins against uh, Mississippi State and Kentucky. So George, this is the wrong time to be playing Georgia. And Georgia is motivated, going to be motivated this weekend because they're trying to make the SEC tournament and they need to win to do that. And you know, so they're it's not they're not going to roll over for South Carolina. And you know, South Carolina is having a lot of struggles right now. But the point is not that they should be in or not, anything. But, but the point shot. is they are as bad as they've been playing with the seven straight SEC losses. They're still in the mix. I guess the other thing is that neither Auburn nor South Carolina is definitely in. And like you said, Auburn's trending in the wrong direction. That that, that series sweep at home to Alabama, that's just... It destroyed yeah. their RPI. It destroyed their RPI. It, destroy, it may destroy their whole season yeah. if well, they can't recover. And they then on Tuesday went out and lost to UAB. Not good. Which was you know, just as bad for their RPI. It was only one game versus three, but it, that's yeah. a, another killer. See the thing to me, the thing to me is this is kind of where the RPI is is flawed to me because I look at South Carolina's schedule and I look at Auburn's schedule. Granted, Auburn's non-conference schedule was not the strongest; it was pretty weak. But if you look at their resumes, to me, I no doubt would rather I would take Auburn in that they've won series against South Carolina, against Ar- Arkansas, against Mississippi State. They swept Florida. South Carolina has nothing like that remotely well, that, close on their schedule. But that's why Auburn right now would be bubbled in. And right. They're ahead of South Carolina. You know, they right. have the winning record in the league. South Carolina doesn't. So, I mean, yes, RPI may be flawed, and right. maybe they shouldn't be ahead, but the committee is not going to look at those two teams necessarily and say right. South Carolina over Auburn right now. Right, and that, uh, yeah, I'm just saying that's why I think the RPI is not, you know, obviously the only measurement here because South Carolina is 15 points ahead in the RPI and their resume is significantly worse than Auburn's is. I, I, and I'm curious about Vanderbilt. Is the other SEC team I'm curious about. Vanderbilt and Missouri. Missouri started the year winning, what, 20 games in a row? I think it's still the second longest win streak in it the is. country this year. Um Missouri hasn't won a has won maybe, maybe won one series. It feels like in the they last just beat two South months. Carolina. Right, that's the one. Um, but Missouri feels like it's probably bubble out. It is bubble out now. Their RPI is bad. They're in the sixties. That's not good enough. They're eleven and sixteen in the league. That's not good enough. Um, but they winning this weekend was critical for them. It's a li- it was a lifeline kind of for them. It, it was. You know, now they go and they play at Tennessee and. Which has a good RPI at 44. And it's on the road. You win that series, you're going to be... It would very much help them to sweep. That would get them to 14 and 16. Much easier to get in with a losing record if you're at 14 and 16 versus 13 and 17. Right. But it can be done at 13 and 17. But Missouri is probably, regardless of what happens this weekend, going to go to Hoover and need to win some games there to, to help their cause. The other one we talked about, we almost ranked, was Ole Miss. So Ole Miss has played this 
difficult schedule. They've had a very they've gotten a lot of people's best shots in the SEC. They've played 21 games against ranked teams the way we keep them, 10 and 11 in those games. They had to go to Arkansas. They had to go to Florida. They had to go to LSU, and they had to go to Kentucky. In SEC play, that is that is a gauntlet this year of road games. They'll finish up at Auburn this weekend. But they beat A&M this weekend to bounce back from getting swept from Florida. They uh, they won their couple previous years before that. They're 500 in the league, basically, 13 and 14. Feels like, Teddy, this is not just a uh, – I mean, this weekend, I don't feel like if they lose that series to Auburn, they're – out of the running, but they're on the, this bubble kind of, aren't they? They've been on the bubble the whole season, but no, they can lose the series this weekend. Win one game, and I think they're in pretty pretty solid shape. Their RPI is 32. Win one game, you're 14 and 16 in the league. Uh, you know, it has been this incredibly difficult schedule. If you go, um, you know, and look at strength of schedule, they, they rank rather high in that. Um, and, you know, again, pretty generally, teams sitting around 500 in the SEC with strong RPIs get in the tournament. Um, and they are trending in, in the right direction. So I, I feel like they can go and, and do what they need to do this weekend. I mean, but you, the strength of schedule is eighth. And, right. I mean, even if you look at non-conference strength of schedule, it's still 78, which is pretty respectable. I mean, Vanderbilt's strength of schedule is one, right? Am Vanderbilt, I reading this right? Vanderbilt has had it pretty difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, That surprised me, though, because their non-conference included Illinois-Chicago, Cal State-Northridge. Well, UIC is winning the Horizon League. Uh, Northridge has not lived up to it, but you know they St. played. St. Mary's two, has a good RPI. Yeah, you know, they played two against Southeastern Louisiana, which is in the top thirty in the RPI. You know, San Diego has a good RPI. They're not doing. They're in like fourth place in the WCC, but you know it's Ole Miss, it's A and M, it's Kentucky, it's Florida, it's South Carolina. That, that's all in the SEC. Right. And at Arkansas, I don't know if they'll be able to hold on to that number one strength of schedule after this week uh, when they play Middle Tennessee and Alabama all at home, but. It's been a hard schedule for Vanderbilt. But you feel like Vanderbilt is in good, in great shape, conference. I mean, NCAA tournament wise. I would be. Even very though it confident. feels like it's been a very mediocre season in my mind by Vanderbilt standards. Absolutely. Especially. I mean, they're they're five hundred in the league. I mean, that is that is very mediocre, especially for them. But they play Alabama this weekend. That I mean, they can't afford to lose this because as they just ask Auburn what that'll do to your RPI if you lose to Alabama at home, but. Assuming right. they win the series against Alabama at home, um, you know, then they're they're going to be just fine. It, it, I mean, it's, it's always a deep league, um, so we we know there are going to be a lot of uh, SEC teams that get into regionals. Which ones are trending toward being national seeds? I mean, Florida and Kentucky, as we talked about, these are top eight RPIs already. I'm not saying these teams are secure, but you know, it feels like those teams are in the driver's seat. Mike, in your mind, this LSU Mississippi State—that's this weekend, mm-hmm. wrapping the regular season. Is there one national seed on the line there? I mean, Mississippi State's RPI is not great. Right. Um, do you feel like can Mississippi State knock LSU out of being a national seed? But, but I mean, obviously the conference tournament is going to come into play here. But there's right. more. There's more at stake than just who wins the SEC West, right? Yeah, no, there definitely is. I mean, it's a, it's a huge series and really a fun way to end the regular season. You know, Got a lot of intrigue there. There, there is a whole lot of intrigue there. You know, I, I mean, you're right. Obviously, the SEC tournament could change that picture depending on what teams do there. But I do think it's a it's a battle for a national seed just because, like you said, Mississippi State, where its RPI stands right now, and if they finish second to LSU, 
It, I, you know, obviously you can't really see Mississippi State getting it over LSU at this point. So I, I do think it, it is a, a battle in a lot of ways for a national seed, barring what happens in the SEC tournament. Um, you know, I, I do feel okay about where Florida and Kentucky stand at this point, although we'll see. Um, let's see, who does Kentucky have? They go to Florida this week. They go to Florida. So, yeah. So, well, that's another big series as well. Even a sweep there. It feels like both those, it's going to be a good series loss no matter what. If it doesn't feel like sweeps have hurt a lot of these teams RPI-wise, unless you're getting swept by a bad team. The problem, we're Kentucky, let's just say Kentucky gets swept there because they're the more vulnerable team and Florida is unlikely to be swept at home. Um, If Kentucky were to get swept, they'd be 18-12 and in the league. That would almost assuredly drop them behind LSU, at least LSU in the league standings. And it would maybe not damage their RPI at all, but that would not be that would not be great. If they don't get swept, they're they're a little vulnerable anyway, I feel like. Um, I feel like Florida's looking pretty strong for for a national seed. I don't know if Mississippi State can do it. I don't know that beating LSU this weekend is gonna be good enough. Maybe a sweep would change things. They're 25 in the RPI. Um, you know, it, it's good. They lost head to head to Kentucky, or they beat Kentucky head to head. I'm sorry, but yeah, um, it's feels like if they win the series and then have a strong showing in the SEC tournament, but they're they are going harder. to they are going to need to go to Hoover and do something. LSU might be able to wrap it this weekend. I could see that happening, um, but I, I do think Mississippi State. It's going to take something in Hoover to, to put them over the top. But right now... Um, but that's pretty great. I mean, this, how it happens. Oh, SEC yeah. schedule making. The top two teams in the West and the top two teams in the East match up on the season's final regular Absolutely. I mean, we get season. de facto division championship series. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, all four of those teams could win the SEC title. Don't look now, but J.J. Schwartz is actually hitting... And I think I've been like the king of the J.J. Schwartz bashers for the last year or so. Um, but that guy's hitting. And in SEC play, he's got six home runs down, 25 games. He's hitting over 300. Strikeouts are still there. Defense still really isn't there, but he's getting a little bit better at first base. He's not a, a total liability. He's not a liability over there as much as he has been. Um, what has gotten – has it just been health, Teddy? Or what in your mind has gotten the Gators trending back toward the top of this? When I talked to Sully last week, it was health. That was his answer. And it's a huge factor. You know, they were without Austin Laneworthy for a while. Dalton Guthrie was playing banged up. They were without Jonathan India. They're still without Mike Rivera. I mean, those are some pretty significant pieces to subtract from a lineup. This is true. Um, I, so that's a huge part of it. But I also think part of it is just that, uh, you know, Florida plays some young kids and they have to make adjustments. And they were struggling to make adjustments early on. Uh, but now that they have a lot of at-bats under their belt, uh, you know they've made some adjustments, they've gotten some experience, they understand what they're doing a little bit better, and they're out there producing. And the thing all along was that Florida doesn't need to score 10 runs a game. They don't need right. to be that kind of offense. They just need to give their pitchers a little bit of help, and they'll, they'll be good enough. And I, So I think part of it's health, part of it is just some, some younger players growing up. feels like the guys who've stepped forward for them the most, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, like uh, Nelson Maldonado... He's hitting over 400 SEC play. I mean, he started it a lot as a freshman for them last year. He was an everyday guy. A good steady hitter, but he wasn't really a force. He's become a force, but he's on base over 500. This guy's just controlled. When I, when I watch Florida, he always seems like he's getting a hit. And then uh, the other key for them, I guess, has been, and you wrote about this last week, just Michael Byrne just kind of 
locking down the bullpen. They just see that they're, they're, you know, their their question marks are more guys getting healthy. They've answered all their other question marks. The other where they had holes, they filled those holes. The only holes they had left were basically whether Dalton Guthrie was going to be able to throw or not, or whether J.J. Schwartz was going to be an asset or a liability. I mean, like, really, outside of getting um, you know, Rivera healthy, which they've been good behind the plate. I can't pronounce the guy's name. but Mike Cola Savari. Cola Savari, which, what's his name? Hudson corrects me every time I pronounce it, so I didn't <laughs> want to say it. I didn't want him to come in here and interrupt us and pronounce his name correctly. It's Hura. No, this is a different player. Um, but they seem like they've answered their own questions within their roster. I mean, like, Mike, it feels like that's the same thing that Kentucky's done for most of this year. I mean, like, this is a really good matchup. I know Kentucky has been – it feels like Kentucky, for the most part, has had the better resume than Florida. It feels like Florida has caught up and yeah. uh, is playing its best baseball. I'm not sure. Do you think Kentucky – you've been Kentucky's advocate in our meetings. <laughs> is Kentucky playing its best baseball at this time of year now? You know, uh, I, I think they're I, – I think they may be slowed – I mean – a little bit of a sigh there, a little bit of a pause. My yeah, bad. But yeah, the week, <laughs> I'm pulling up their schedule now. I mean, the week before, uh, you know, losing a series to Georgia, obviously Georgia's hot right now, but that wasn't that wasn't great for them. I think they rebounded nicely against Tennessee, but I don't think they're off to the they're in that at the really hot pace that they were at the beginning of this year um, after the sweep at North Carolina, of course. They, but, they still feel like offensively, they're probably the most explosive team in the SEC. They're feel like yeah. they're the team most likely to put up. A, a crooked number. I mean, I think it's ridiculous how often they score double digits. Yeah, no. I mean, I think you look at you look at their stats, and they have let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys hitting above three hundred in their lineup. And you know, they do have some power, they do have some speed, they do have a lot of ways that they can beat you. And then on top of that, they have a starting rotation that's been pretty solid this year for the most part. They've, they've had some hiccups along the way as well, but they have guys with stuff. And right. guys that if they're on, they can dominate a team. So, and then you know they do have some velocity in the back end of the bullpen as well. But certainly from an offensive standpoint, I think that's their strength. They're just a really tough lineup to pitch to. It just it just it feels like you know, to me every when I'm when I'm reading their press releases, there's a different guy. Whether it's uh, is it Mahan or Man? Mahan. Mahan. Yeah. Riley Mahan or uh, Evan White or Tristan Pompey. It feels like a lot of times it's been Tristan Pompey. But I mean, he's, like this, he's had a really nice year. But Evan White too. I mean. He's he's batting close to 400 at this point. I mean, he's you know there, there's a reason why he's a you know a top you know draft prospect or their top draft prospect. So. Do we still have any questions about their rotation? Either of you guys? I mean, like I know that was an area of concern coming into the year. It certainly hasn't been. I wouldn't say it's the strength of their team, but it certainly doesn't seem like it's been a weakness either. Now the fact that uh, Sean Hagelli has uh, been much better in SEC play, getting Jelly going was has been key for them because it gives them a, a true Friday guy. Uh, my biggest concern for them is their defense. They're fielding. They're up to 972 now, which is an increase over the last couple of weeks. But it cost them against Georgia. It cost them the, the Georgia series. Their right. defense did, and it's not a great fielding team. They're not what Florida is defensively. Most teams aren't, but like that is, that's a concern for me is that they aren't a great team defensively and it's a team that doesn't have postseason experience and the two of those factors together are an issue for me once they get into the tournament. They're doing great right now. Maybe maybe I'm overdoing the lack of experience piece of this, but I do feel like that that might come up and, and 
be potentially problematic at some point during the, the NCAA tournament. Well, I love those two series. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Who are you picking to win this Florida-Kentucky series, Teddy? Florida. That's a surprise. <laughs> Mike, Ooh. who are you picking to win this uh, this series? Am, am I'm I going to be surprised here, too? I'm going to take Kentucky just to be contrarian. Uh, and uh, also, Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky has had success against Florida, generally not at Florida, at Kentucky, but... I don't know. I just have that, that good feeling about Kentucky this weekend. I'm going to go with that, but we'll see. Uh, how about the uh, Mississippi State? The, the Canizaro Bowl 2017, LSU versus uh, Mississippi yeah, State. We, we talked about like the on-field implications, but this is also the first meeting between Andy Canizaro and Paul Maneri since Andy uh, left at the end of fall ball to, to take over at, at Hale State. Um, this one's a little tougher. I feel like LSU is the better team. Actually, no, I know LSU is the better team. I feel like Mississippi State has been the least predictable team this year. Because every time you start to, oh, they're too banged up on the mound. We can't count on this team. They go and they win, and then you're like, oh, well, they're they're so offensively explosive. We can't, and nobody's going to, you know, what was it this weekend? I thought I heard on one of the SEC broadcasts yesterday, Chris Burke talking about how Scott Strickland just walked Brent Rooker with first and second, nobody out, just walked him. I mean, like, (laughs) he didn't want any part of the Rooker show. No. Um, I don't blame him. I, uh, as much as I, I think LSU has more talent and they should win the series, I also am not going to pick against this Mississippi State team in a series that, you know, they have a lot of, like, there's a strong incentive for them to win. It, it means an awful lot. They're at home. Uh, they play really well in Starkville. I, logically, I don't think I should do this, but I'll go with the Bulldogs. Uh, I do have a Twitter question wrapping up this section from Kyle Costigan, who asked, who's our surprise first-round selection this year? Um, I, 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 I'll just keep saying the same thing I always say. Uh, college bats move up draft boards more than you think. And my huckleberry for this is Drew Ellis. And, Mike, you saw him this weekend. You could wrap this ACC and SEC portion of the program by talking about just how cute Drew Ellis was this weekend. Because that guy <laughs> is really cute. That guy can really... <laughs> really hit. I know I mentioned him earlier. I mean, like, why would that guy not be a first-round pick if you're looking for a college hitter? He's athletic enough to play third base, first base when McKay pitches, and he can play left field if you need him. Yeah. And what does this guy not do offensively? No, I mean, off- offensively, I, I mean, he got a hit every time he was up. At, at one point, they even shifted their infield, had three infielders on the left side of the infield, and he hit it through it. It, you know, it, it that's didn't, right. That it didn't you matter. Tweeted that video, I, I, tweeted, I tweeted a video of that. Uh, you know, he just has really, really quick hands, a really quick bat, and just I, you know, talking to him after the game, uh, you know, he's someone who his, his first year at Louisville, just because we, you know, we talked about the depth at Louisville. He was someone who didn't play. He was behind Tavari on the depth chart. It's amazing. And he was he was redshirted, and that was. He, he told me that was the best thing that's ever happened to him because he came in feeling like he was a stud. You know, he's a guy who he played in a Little League World Series in 2008. He threw, he's the only person in Little League World Series history to throw a no-hitter and lose. Wow, Drew so, Ellis. So, that's a deep cut, I didn't know that. Yeah, so fun fact. But, um, so he's, he's... Not so fun for Drew Ellis. Not, not so fun for him, but he's, so he's been in the spotlight before. Um, he's, he's, you know, dealt with that before. And so it was tough for him coming in and, and being redshirted right away. It, it humbled him, and he's learned from that. And he's worked. He's worked obviously very hard on his conditioning and his mental approach. He credited guys like Sutton Whiting and Zach Lucas. And, and <laughs> your, those, your boy, those Sutton guys. Whiting. Yeah. Don't you have a Sutton Whiting poster back there? Somewhere? I do. I do. <laughs> I'm so glad great. that you worked in the swag into into this. 
answer about Drew Ellis. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, is he known for his swag? Well, no, uh, Son Whitey Son Whitey, for Whitey sure. Is, yeah. Absolutely. So he credited those guys for his mental approach, and he's you know he's added some weight throughout the years, too. He's, he's buffed up. So have I, but his sounds, <laughs> sounds better than it's mine. It's good weight. It's good weight. Um, you guys so. aren't supposed to laugh so hard. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, no, he's, he's the real deal. He can really hit. And it's fun, too. You know, one of the fun parts of this Louisville team is him, Colby Fitch, and Brennan McKay have this competition among themselves as far as who can hit the most home runs. Hmm. And uh, right now, Brennan McKay and Jarellis are tied at 15, but Colby Fitch is coming for him with three this weekend. Right. So they, they all have a lot of fun with that. Drew Ellis tied for sixth in the country in, sl- in uh, total bases, one behind Jake Berger. And that's just my question to scouts. I keep on asking, what is the difference between Jake Berger and Drew Ellis? I'm not knocking Jake Berger, but just Jake Berger has been coming in, came into the year as a potential first-round pick. Um, you know, college national team, all this. Drew Ellis seems like he's very similar player. Might be a little bit better athlete. You know, I never hear about Jake Berger playing left field, uh, running well enough to play the outfield. Uh, Berger's probably got a better arm, but tool for tool, these guys sound really similar. So that's my that's my surprise, uh, Huckleberry. There, um, I want to kind of pivot off Teddy's uh, off the bat for the rest of the podcast um, for a couple reasons. Teddy, first of all, you, you update eight for Omaha every week. Um, that was one that I, I wanted to touch base with. Um, no significant changes, that, or I guess there were no changes in the field this week. Which of these teams between Florida, Long Beach State, Louisville, Mississippi State, Carolina, Oregon State, TCU, and Texas Tech is the most vulnerable? Would that be Mississippi State just because they are in danger of not hosting maybe if they have a rough next couple of weeks? Well, Mississippi State has been vulnerable since they got in, since I first put them in because like I kept them out for a really long time just because... They're so banged up. Like, how, at some point, the depth has to become an issue. You do, you do love that strategy. has to. Though. But, yeah, it, it, it became, eventually, it was like, well, what do, what do they have to do? Like, they keep winning. It doesn't matter how many injuries they have. They just win, like, every single day. And so they are probably the most vulnerable here. I don't think it super matters whether they host or a national seed or whatever. Like, I, I believe in the belief in that team. Um, but the... I mean, they can't sustain really any more injuries at this point. Um, Brett Rooker can only carry them so far on his own. He's going to carry them pretty far. Yeah. He's Uh, pretty outstanding. After that, TCU, it's... They're still really incredibly strong, but Luke and Baker got injured this weekend. Good call. And Luke and Baker is, sounds like he's going to be out for a little while. They don't know the full extent of the injury yet. They're going to find that out later today. I saw but those pictures of him in the uh, in, you know, with the left arm basically immobilized in the dugout. It does not look good. And they have the depth and experience to overcome this injury, but he is still one of the best players in college baseball, and you take that guy out of any lineup, and it's going to be worse. And I just feel like Luke and Baker at this point is almost kind of like uh, it's almost like he's the dude in uh, the knight, the black knight in Monty Python, where it's like yes. first the right arm, he's like, oh, it's just a flesh wound. I'll just go ahead and hit. I won't pitch anymore. Now it's the left arm. You can't really do anything just hopping around with no arms. So um, that's kind of where Luke and Baker is right now. Not the hopping around with no arms part, but <laughs> but both arms, both wings have been clipped. It's not easy. Yeah, and you know they also didn't pitch particularly well this weekend at Oklahoma. They gave up like 24 or 25 runs in the three-game series. So they've got some things to work out here. Um, I, I still believe in their ability and their talent, but um, th- it's not – 
what they were coming into the season when they were the preseason number one and everything. Uh, that's not quite where they're at right now without Jared Janzak, who should be back soon, and without Luke and Baker, who we don't know about. Baker's a pretty big uh, matzo ball hanging out there for sure. The Big 12 has a couple other uh, big items hanging out. You wrote about Oklahoma, that big series win. They're in the top 20 in RPI. They're trending toward maybe being a regional host. Uh, obviously, a couple weeks going on here but to, to determine that. But Baylor, guys, Baylor's back. Three straight weekends on the road. Uh, they lose the series at TCU. Okay, that's a good series loss. They won a game there. They get swept. Um, I think they outscored them for that series. Then they win a series at Kansas. They don't sweep it, but they still get a road series win. Kansas is above 500. That's always good for your RPI. And they go and sweep Oklahoma State, guys. Suddenly, our, uh, Baylor's back in the top 15 in RPI. So they started great. Had a little kind of uh, regressed to the mean, to use a pro ball term. Uh, what do you guys make of, of Baylor? How legit is Baylor? And does Baylor's uh, return to being uh, on the positive side of the ledger? You mix them in with West Virginia. Is this a five-bid league now? Is this a six-bid league with Texas hovering around 500 in the league with a top 25 RPI? How do you guys see the Big 12 shaping up the last regular season week, uh, Mike? You can go ahead. Well, the thing I'd say about Baylor is, uh, I mean, their RPI is held pretty steady for the most part. It's It's been around the 15 right. or so range. It's just the, the results of, of late after the hot start they got off to haven't really matched up with that all that well. And now we're starting to see the results with that match up a little bit more. And now we see them above 500 in the Big 12. And, you know, certainly with, you know, number 13 RPI, and a winning record in the Big 12. I mean, they're and they're in fourth place in the Big 12 right now, the number one RPI conference. I mean, that's a tournament team. They, you know, they, we've they've had, beaten every team above them or the same record in in a series, and the right. teams below them, they've taken care of business. Basically, that's a host potentially. Yeah. Not not only is that a lock tournament team, they're looking at hosting. They play Kansas State this weekend. If they win that last series, last place team in the league. Yeah. Yeah. They win that series, they're going to have a very nice league record like you mentioned number one rpi league like yeah they're definitely back in that mix and the whole league is in the top 100 in rpi which yeah. is you know when your last place team is over 500 good things happen because this is a cumulative process when they're talking about rpi if they're like they're the big 12 is like the opposite of the big west this year where there are two good teams and everybody else is crap i mean it's yeah unfortunate for the big west but that's how the rpi perceives their league yeah, no, the, the Big 12 is, is deep this year. It's, it's really deep, and, I mean, we've had... It's like a Louisville lineup. <laughs> yeah, we've had, yeah, I mean, we've had six Big 12 bids in our field of 64, and, I, you know, I don't see any reason why. I mean, especially, I mean, the, you're looking at, you know, of those teams, the lowest RPI there is... Tech, I mean, Texas is 9-11 right now in conference. It'd be nice if they could, could correct that. But so we're looking at four hosts? Three hosts? Four hosts? I'm going to say seven bids, four hosts. Seventh bid being Kansas. Is, Kansas is going to do this. Kansas is that's at upset. Fifty-eight City. now. They're not in yet, but I'm going to say Kansas gets in. They're fifty-eight now. Lay it out. Why break it down? Eleven and ten in the league. Okay. They finish at Texas Tech, so the RPI is only going to get helped if they can just win one game this weekend. Just win one game. They're twelve and twelve in the league. That RPI is going to go up if you beat Texas Tech on the road. I I really think it happens. Kansas is playing really well, and. You know, Texas closes uh, the, the season this weekend, and, and they do need a nice showing. But I think what they have is, is good enough. Uh, they get West Virginia at home, um, you know, so that 
it, it sh- if they can win this series, they can probably go to Oklahoma City without needing to do much of anything. But even if, even if they took a series loss, I think they can still you know do enough in Oklahoma City to to make up for the fact that they're going to be under five hundred in the league at that point. A two and two week would behoove the uh, Jayhawks. It would seem win that midweek at Creighton, uh, which is a bad RPI, so you don't want to lose. Yeah, that, that, that might game. even be a must win. And then you know, don't get swept. Find a way to win a game at uh, out at uh, what's it called again? Dan Lubbock. Law, yeah, but uh, Rip Griffin, Rip Griffin Park at Dan, Dan Law Field or Rip Griffin Park, yes. and that's what it is. So, um, yeah, I like that. I, I like the long name ballparks. And they, they're none of them as as good as Mississippi State's. What uh, Pont de Bent Field at Duty Noble, no, Duty Noble Stadium, or Pont de Bent Field, whatever. There are four names on it: Pont de Bent, Duty Noble. So, um, four people who are honored there. I, I, I'm a fan of. Uh, uh, of the overly named uh, college baseball uh, parks, uh, that that league. I mean, I, I know we saw them being good this year. We didn't see them being seven bids good, did we? No, definitely not. I didn't like every every team in the league has gotten better, uh, with the exception of Oklahoma State, um, right? Who went to Omaha last year and now is probably going to miss the tournament barring barring a strong close uh which probably includes winning the big 12 tournament oklahoma state looking like they're on the outside uh but everyone else is better and it's really impressive to see what what this league has been able to accomplish i guess oklahoma state gets the sad trombone right i mean like it's not the ham horn but they get the yeah it's not as good mike i'm sorry they set it up like you do no it's it's did we press the panic button on them last week uh, maybe not last week. I know we have recently. We have, okay. it's, it's for pretty, Oklahoma State. It's, yeah, it's, I just wanted to make sure we had. Yeah, it's progressed beyond panic at this point, though. I, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean the thing is, is we thought the Big Twelve would be strong. One of the reasons we thought they're going to be strong is we thought Oklahoma State would be good coming into this year. Even though with what they lost from last year's Omaha team, they still had a lot of talent on that roster. Still thought they'd be able to pitch this year with what they had coming back and it just hasn't just hasn't worked out they just they've had moments they've had times during the season where it's like okay here's Oklahoma State they're gonna make their run now but they just haven't been able to put it all together and win at a consistent pace but even with them struggling this year I mean that speaks to how deep and how strong the conference is because even with them in eighth place I mean you still might have seven bids potentially I mean it's it's certainly a a well-rounded conference from top to bottom and you know, it, it's something it's, they've kind of been building toward this the last couple of years, and especially now with, with Texas back in, you know, with what David Pierce has done there, like back in a contending position. I mean, it only makes the conference stronger, and, you know, I, you know, it's going to be strong again next year, too. Uh, you got to have now. your flagship. So, you got to have yeah. your flagship programs be yeah. good. That makes it about easier to have a good year as a league. It, it does, and Oklahoma is a part of that as well, but also. The flagships in the Big 12 are changing, potentially. You know, TCU and Texas Tech, those might be your flagships now. TCU's been – they've made five Omaha trips between right. them in the last three years. Like That is crazy. Maybe those are your flagships. Maybe it's not Oklahoma and Texas anymore. Maybe maybe we need to adjust to the fact that uh, those are the, the conference powerhouses. They I might not be. I mean, I would, we'll see. But. I understand what you're saying. To me, like, there's still inherent advantages to being Texas. The oh, TCU no and Texas Tech will never have. That's why, but like, but to shift to the Pac-12, like, can you call Southern Cal and Arizona State flagship programs when Arizona State hasn't won a national title in 36 years? And uh, frankly, I've seen some articles about Arizona State. Oh, nothing to see here. It's fine. Don't panic. 
Arizona State should panic. Their fans should panic. I know that everybody has transitions. This has been an ugly one under Tracy Smith. And then USC has been in transition for 12 years. So USC hasn't won a national title in 19 years. They'll go to regionals once. They aren't going this year. They'll have one regional trip since they got rid of Mike Gillespie. That was like 12 years ago. Um, and Arizona State is an afterthought. It's, you got to press the panic button on from a program standpoint, not a team standpoint. That's a that's a uh, a league where the flagships, I do think, have changed. I don't know who the flagship program is of the Pac-12 anymore. Oregon do, State, they've won five. They didn't go to regionals last year. That's fine. They should have. They've won right. five conference titles in the last 13 years, and no one has won more conference titles than them since the Pac-12 scrapped the division format in 99. Right. That's your flagship. Two national titles. And you can probably throw Arizona into this and UCLA and Stanford. They're, they're probably all right there. But you want a flagship? It's Oregon State. I guess that's my point is I don't think there is, like, by definition, to me, a flagship is a little bit more dominant than that. And they're there every year. And they're always part of the mix. Like Florida State is at the ACC and Miami. Those are, and Louisville has made itself, but still it's three years. I'm thinking of, you know, where basically the, the dads think of the dad of the recruit when they think of the Pac-12 thinks of USC and Arizona State. Well, I don't even know if they think of Arizona State anymore. You know, Barry Bonds ain't walking through that, that, that big league door. He hasn't played the big leagues in 10 years. And Dustin Pedroia's getting old. Who's going to carry the banner for Arizona State in pro ball? Mike Leak? I mean, I like Mike Leak, but The difficulty... On. I has time... The longer these flagships are at the bottom of the league, the worse it is for, you know, for those leagues. The difficulty teams, is that... I think a lot of times we, we think of flagships also in terms of broader athletic department stuff, particularly in the Big that's, 12, where we're talking true. about Texas football. and Oklahoma yes. and what they do in football. And USC still has that going for it. USC is that, but they need for the Pac-12 to be perceived at properly or as, as one of the better teams. It's difficult to think of as Oregon State as a flagship because baseball is what they do. They don't right. football play football particularly well. Not, not basketball basketball is atrocious. Um, Gary Payton is, is <laughs> upset with you right now, as is probably his son. Um, so the Pac-12 needs USC because that is the school that people associate with it. And when they're in last place like they are now at 19 and 27, yeah. that is a problem. And so UCLA and Stanford can be that way because they play these other sports so well. But Oregon State really, it's going to be difficult for people to ever think of them as the Pac-12 flagship because the only sport that's the case in is this one. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, I'm older and people like me think of flagship programs more often. I I understand that's part of it is my demographic. And uh, I'm not sure how important that is. We see that in college basketball. It doesn't really feel like it's that important. Even winning isn't that important in recruiting anymore. It's going to the league. Um, feels like in baseball, winning matters a little bit more. Getting to Omaha matters if you're going to play college baseball at all. Um, UCLA has done that, certainly, but they haven't done it since 2013. So it's, it's harder to have. A, you know, I guess Oregon State's done 2014 College World Series, but before that, had they been since 2007? I don't think they had not. So um, I think they're reestablishing themselves at this, as this flagship. This team has a decent amount of juniors, but the everyday lineup is a lot of sophomores and freshmen. So... Um, so to me, I, I, on the Pac-12 tip, uh, real, a couple quick hits, and then we'll, I'll, I'll go around some other leagues and we'll wrap up. Did UCLA, how significantly did UCLA damage its at-large chances losing to Wazoo this weekend? Which, let's give some kudos to Wazoo. 
beat UCLA two out of three this weekend, won the series against Oregon last weekend, won a series the prior weekend at Utah, uh, won the series against Washington. Wazoo has won four straight conference series. Kudos to Wazoo. First time since 1995. That's impressive. It that's, is. That's almost they, like the Bobo Brayton era, maybe. They pulled themselves out of the cellar. Uh, at, you know, it, it definitely has been an impressive month for, for the Cougars. As yeah. for UCLA... This is what Marty Leakes was hired to do. Yes, He's, absolutely. He knows that program. He knows that part of the country. And he and Dan Spencer are kind of like this Pacific Northwest tag team that's gone out there and done a great job so far at Wazoo. So credit to those guys. As for UCLA... They did not do themselves any favors this weekend. Uh, their RPI is down to 59. Feels like them in Utah this weekend, loser. It's like it's like they're in the Thunderdome. Uh, like two teams enter, one team leaves. I think what it, what it really did was the Bruins have no more margin for error because they're down to just two games over 500 overall. They're down to four games over 500 in the league. Um, their RPI is probably too bad right now, but it will improve if they win games. But they are. They need to win against Utah, and then they would need to go to Oregon and win. It feels like they need to go four and two in those two conference series. You know, you go eighteen and twelve in the league. Uh, it feels like it would be hard to leave a Pac-12 team that's in the top sixty in RPI and that's eighteen and twelve in the league out. Stanford, uh, you know, Mike, I, I, forgive me, I, I can't find your most recent sixty-four team field. Did you guys have Stanford in the national seed? In as a national seed, and Stanford just keeps winning with. Uh, oh gosh, what's the Friday guy's name? Who's like 82, 83? Chris Bubik? No, he throws hard. Uh, it's the it's the other guy, it's the senior left-hander. Oh, Castellanos. Castellanos keeps on getting strikeouts, throwing like 82, 83, <laughs> like change up, just slot balling. He's like Tim Cunningham reincarnate. Uh, all the old Stanford fans will remember Tim Cunningham. But this is this is not how it was scripted out for Stanford, and yeah. yet they're still doing it. Uh, are they a national seed potentially? I, I mean, I think they're in the picture. I mean, we didn't we didn't have them as a national seed, but obviously the, the way that they're playing at this point and where their RPI is, is standing right now, and you know and they hate if, Cal. <laughs> they hate they, Cal. Yeah, because we had I mean we had Clemson as our number eight national seed in this last field of sixty four, and well that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, so the way they've been trending, obviously, uh, it's it's not a, a good look for them as far as for a national seed. So certainly Stanford is going to be in the conversation. We haven't plotted out the field of 64 yet so we'll, we'll talk about that but if they beat washington and wazoo the next two series i have a hard time thinking that that team say they were 19 and 10 in the league it'd be hard to not have that team as a national seed wouldn't it they got a very good schedule i think they're it right now and yeah you just finish it out i think they uh i think they do it you know, they've got a lot of things going for them they have 25 top 100 wins they have 13 wins on the road they played an ambitious schedule they won against it you know it's it's impressive all right, uh, some some because again because I'm old and I like to talk about flagship programs. Let's talk about some of the ones that are on the bubble. We've talked about a lot this year. Florida State lost this weekend to the Demon Deeks. Um, Florida State is 28th in the RPI, but they're just 33 and 20 overall. They're under 500, underwater in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Only one weekend left for that. Is Florida State in or out? You know, Mike, you go first on this one. Florida State in? You think they're, when it's all said and done, are they going to be in the 64 team field? I, I mean, now, but like, will they be in? I, I think they'll find a way. I still think they'll find a way. And well, they got to go to Louisville this weekend. Yeah, that's, that's that ain't true. easy. That that ain't easy. No, I mean they are. They that's are, less easy than pimping. <laughs> their resume is similar to South Carolina in in a lot of ways, and that the RPIs 
around the same area, and, and you look at what they've done in the ACC this Kids, that's year. not a good comp. You don't no, want to get comp not. this year to South it's, Carolina. It's not. It's not. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They don't really have a big series. They have a, a, a series win against Clemson is, is their biggest series win, and that's a good one. But other than that, they don't really have – that much to hang their hat they're, on. They're starting pitching. You know, like Holden's been quite good most of the year, but Cole Sands. Really good this weekend. Cole Sands started out great. Cole Sands has hit the skids. I don't know if he can skid with sand. I don't know if that's possible. I thought that sand was supposed to give you a little more grip, but um, you know, moving Drew, Carl- Drew Carlton to the bullpen helped. But I mean, they don't get a lot of leads to protect. I feel like Florida State's trending out. If they get swept by Louisville, twelve and seventeen in the ACC, you better go to Louisville and. Make serious noise in the conference tournament. That's I'm a little scared for Florida State. I have been very optimistic all season long. That optimism is gone. Yeah, they got you. Got to win home series. They didn't you, do that against Wake Forest or the, Virginia. With the way Louisville is playing right now, you don't want to go to Louisville needing to win. And if they win one game, they're 13 and 16. They have at that point their RPI would very much improve. I'm sure because you beat the number three team on the road. But if you get swept, they're probably done. Like, at that point, they probably have to go win the ACC tournament. That so would not be beautiful. If they go win one game in Louisville, I'll say they're fine. Because at that point, you're 13 and 16 in You're looking a good at 34 league. and 22 overall, which is unseminal like it, it very much is, but they definitely can't afford a sweep here. Miami and Rice. Rice is 60 in the uh, RPI currently. Miami is 61 uh, Miami felt like it's been it's, it's, both these teams feel like they have trended in the right direction after mm-hmm. brutal starts. They're still under 500. I mean, let's start with Rice, I guess, guys. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about mm-hmm. how. I mean, you, Teddy, you saw these guys. You, you talked to Coach Graham for a while. They're just 14 and 13 in conference USA. That's not good enough, is it? I mean, I, if they I, go win these final four games. They play Texas State midweek, then they finish at UAB. So their RPI is going to take a hit this week. There are, nothing positive is going to happen to their RPI this week, but they can get to 500. And if they can get to 500 going into the conference tournament, and they'd be 18 and 13 in the league. Their RPI is fairly robust for 500. It absolutely is. They are going to have work to do in Hattiesburg. But I don't think if they can win these four games this week, I don't think they're in a position where they would have to win the Conference USA tournament. They would have to go on a run, they have to like and they have and to be very they have to be very careful because they couldn't fall under five hundred again. Right. But they are in a position where they could plausibly play themselves in. I mean, you just look. It's at, not going to be easy. I just look at the conference standings, Mike, and the and Conference USA, which I think we're, we've been saying consistently the three bid league, right? Southern Miss, Old yeah. Dominion, Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. They've played 25 games against RPA top 50 teams. The rest of that league, no one's over 14. Yeah. I mean, so it does feel like if they can get to 500 and finish over 500, they have a shot in that large bid, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I would say they have a shot. I mean, they, they have had a ridiculously tough schedule this year, and that's certainly something that's, well, probably the biggest factor for why they struggled in, right. in non-conference play. Overscheduled, it's just, it's just, it feels like. Yeah, it's just their, their difficulty. Just the, Which the Coach Graham play. admitted when I was talking with him. Right. Yeah, so if they can finish strong and, and, and do, you know, have a good showing in the conference tournament, certainly I think there's a window for them. But, uh, again, like some of these other teams, it's such a thin margin for error with them. I, you know, they, it's a they thin do. line between love and hate. I believe, that's a, uh, <laughs> I believe that's a pretender song, right? I think it was a cover, but... 
I, I'm sorry. I cannot I cannot weigh in on that. Uh, I do not <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> I know Chrissy as Hines far as that, it. as far as that goes, but yeah, you know, I, I do think uh, you know, for the owls at this point they just need to win, win, win no matter what. I believe the persuaders are the ones who sang that song initially. Mm-hmm. But the per- so it wasn't the pretenders, it was the persuaders. But I th- I'm pretty sure I've heard a Chrissy Hine version of that song. I'll play it here if you want, but I think we have rights issues. Yeah. Probably shouldn't play it. Let's not get sued by it. How about the U? Is the U in or out? They've got Virginia Tech at home this weekend. The Hokies Uh, trending in the wrong direction. Um, But Miami... uh, (laughs) So Miami can get over 500. They have four games left. They're two games under 500. They're at one game under. They have a D2 win that you're not seeing. Okay. Would... um, So would... Say they sweep Virginia Tech. That's not easily done. Sweeps are hard. They don't sweep teams in ACC play. They didn't sweep Bethune-Cookman at home. They didn't sweep Boston College. But they did win at BC. Um, would 16-13, and 13, if they sweep this series, 16-13 and 13 in the ACC but barely over 500, would that get them in, Teddy, at large? I mean, Miami doesn't have great stuff on its resume, but their resume is starting to look better than Florida State's. So the problem with Miami is that, like Rice, they're flirting with 500. They're a game under 500. They have sub 500. They have four games left I this see week. You. So if you say they only go three and one, then you're looking at 28 and 27 going to Louisville, and you gotta you're gonna have to win a couple games. They they have pool play, which maybe is a little more forgiving than double elimination because you don't necessarily have to take two losses without winning the conference tournament. But right. if they get to 15 wins in the ACC. That's good, but I just don't know where their RPI is at right now. It's on the wrong side of 60, and yeah. playing Virginia Tech is not going to be helpful to that. No. Going to the ACC tournament will be, but I don't know where it's going to end up. They're going to have work to do regardless, but this series obviously is a must-win this weekend. Uh, they play Gulf Coast midweek. 3-1 and one this week is probably a must-do, and then go to the ACC tournament and not fall on your face, and feels like that might those, be enough. Feels like out of those three teams, Miami has the best shot, the clearest path. The schedule lines sweep, up the best for them. Because if they could sweep uh, Virginia Tech, maybe go one and two in the ACC tournament, something like that, or one and one, and not advance the crazy ass pool play. I, I don't under, I don't remember what the format even looks like anymore. So yes, but like, just make sure you don't fall under five hundred. Don't lose to a team right. you shouldn't be losing to there as well. Correct. Correct. Okay, other teams that you, that you wrote about, that you guys wrote about on the weekend preview, and, I, and you've mentioned this a couple times, Teddy. The Sun Belt seems like it's it has played to form. Three bids, four bids, Mike. I don't know. You, you can start on this one too. I mean, like, feels like South Alabama is in, or mm-hmm. most likely in. Coastal and Louisville, uh, Louisiana Lafayette certainly look like they are uh, strong at large bid choices. UT Arlington, they're the really tough one because they're winning the Western uh, Division in that league, but their RPI is closer to 100 than, <laughs> than you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you guys take on, on these teams uh, in the Sun Belt? And are, are any of these South Alabama, Coastal, Lafayette, uh, Omaha threats? Uh, well, you know, I do think Coastal sweeping Arlington this, this weekend was, was very big for them. They needed something like that. You know, they've kind of been straddling the line a little bit. They've been a bubble team, and, and that certainly was, was very helpful. And they'll have another RPI opportunity midweek against Clemson, going to Clemson. So that that will certainly help them as well um, if they're able to do some damage there. So uh, I don't know that I would necessarily say if they get in that they're in Omaha 
threat necessarily. But then again, I didn't think that last year, and right. we saw what happened. So um, they have some swagger. They do. They do have some swagger. It's just you know, obviously, they've had to kind of rebuild this year with everything that they lost from an offensive standpoint. But you know, certainly, uh, you know, they've they've done well to to get that sweep this weekend and to improve their case. You know, uh, Texas Arlton is is an interesting case, like you said, because they're number ninety in the RPI right now. Uh, you know, I, I really don't know. I mean, for them, I think it's, you know, they have to try to get the automatic bid. I mean, I, I just... Which yeah. which they know yeah. they have to do. I talked yeah. with, with Coach Darren Thomas last week, and they, they know that. They're they're auto bid or nothing. I think yeah. it's a two-bid league right now. We'd had it as three or as one for most of the season. I think we had it as three coming into the year. Um, I still could be three. Both uh, Coastal and Louisiana Lafayette did important work this weekend. I think right now I'd say South Alabama is safe and Coastal is bubble in, and I'll say Louisiana Lafayette is bubble out, but I might feel differently when I look at that later. Yeah, Lafayette's closely. top 50 record's a lot more robust it than is, Coastal's. Uh, but their league record right. is worse. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. Those, those two teams are definitely on the bubble, like right on the edge. One of them's probably going to be last four in, and one of them's probably going to be last four out. I feel better about Coastal's chances. Like, I feel better about Coastal's team. And were they to get into the tournament, I'm not ruling Omaha out. I mean, Cunningham and Beckwith, if they can get Beckwith, like, on form, he's right. been iffy at times. But if they get him on form, like, why that, not? That team can do some things offensively. Billy Cook is he's, multidimensional. He's really, really he's good. He's really fun to watch. And Kevin Woodall's jacking home runs all over the place. He's in the top ten nationally in home he's, runs. He's strikeoutable. I will say that he's pitchable. He has some holes. But you do not want to make a mistake to that giant of a man. He is huge and... <laughs> He's fun to watch take BP. I'll tell you, that, that was one of the more fun batting practices I've seen this year was Coastal coming to Chapel Hill, and he put on a shoe, a really big shoe. Um, finally, last but not least, because we're over an hour, and this is what happens when I get involved. Uh, big Ten. The Big Ten is all over the place. I, mean, I don't know how you make heads or tails of this league. How is the committee going to separate out between these, these team, these, this league? This feels like it could be a two- or three-bid league. feels like it could be a five-bid league. Because it could be more than that. I don't think you could get six. I don't know how you get to six, but I wouldn't take Iowa or Minnesota necessarily. But Teddy, what do you six, do with this I, league? I think I could like craft you a scenario for six. It would be very unlikely, and it requires Iowa to win the tournament. But so Minnesota this weekend, you betcha. It was bad that they lost that series to Long Beach for their at-large chances, but. They have five Big Ten games left because they're making up uh, two games against Rutgers that they got that canceled because Rutgers couldn't get to Minnesota earlier this year. So they're going to play a doubleheader on Tuesday. So they actually have five games left here. They're playing a doubleheader Tuesday against Rutgers. It's a league series. It is. It's, That's so weird. It's so strange. Um, but if they so if they were to sweep that doubleheader, they would actually move into first place going into the uh, final weekend of the year. They would pass Nebraska in the standings right now. Nebraska is winning the Big Ten, and assuming that Minnesota doesn't sweep that, they'll go into the, or if Minnesota doesn't, they'll go into the the final weekend in first place, playing last place Penn State um, in great position to win their first ever Big Ten title. Um, They do that. It's not going to be helpful to their RPI, but last year Minnesota's RPI wasn't great. They won the Big Ten regular season. They got in as a two-seed. Nebraska will be fine if they win the Big Ten. Um, Michigan looks fine. Uh, as long as they don't mess anything up this weekend. Um, Maryland looks fine. They're playing high point this weekend. Their Big Ten season is done. 
Uh, they can't afford anything bad to happen at High Point. But so we'll see some Maryland this weekend. We will see some Maryland. So they should be good. Those three look good. Indiana could stand to use it. Minnesota or, or Maryland and Indiana. Maryland because it's already done. If things shake out not in their favor this weekend, they could end up in like sixth place in the league, which would be bad. Uh, and that's where Indiana is right now. And they really need to improve that position a little bit, I think. But do that. And, and they could be fine. But this whole league is – the top six teams are within a couple games of each other. So a lot of things could go strange this weekend, and none of them play each other. So they all could just pile up wins. Last but not least, we have a uh, Twitter question. I think you answered my Big Ten question. Mike, you don't have anything to add to the Big Ten, do you? Uh, no. I, I, never, so. I never have anything to add <laughs> on the Big Ten. What does the uh, last question, Justin Cook, big NC State fan, what does NC State have to do to get into regionals? That's another team that – took a big step forward this weekend by sweeping Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh. So NC State had not won a lot of SC, uh, uh, they haven't won a lot of uh, series at all this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden they've swept their last two uh, ACC series. They're now fourth in the Atlantic. They're above 500 in the league. Uh, they're at 40 in the RPI. Feels like as long as they don't get swept at home by Clemson, yeah, feels like NC State will be a regional team. What do you what do you think of that? I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think as as long as they win one against Clemson, I think they're they're good. I mean, it, obviously, it'd be nice to get a win or two in the ACC tournament if they can. But I think given you know a win against Clemson this weekend would put them would give them fifteen wins in conference play. They're at forty right now in RPI. A win would only help that RPI. So yeah, I think they're a regional team as long as they win one. I mean, Teddy, I felt like they were kind of dead in the water virtually when they got swept at Boston College, but they've they've bounced back. I mean, granted, it's Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh, but they took care of business and swept those two teams. I mean, their backs were against the wall, and they did what they needed to do at, at that point. And I, I think that is kind of what NC State has done for the last few years. You know, you put <laughs> yeah. their backs against the wall, and, and they find a way to, to, to win. Um, you know, they, might not, f- they might not win the regional with their back against the yeah. wall, but they will get to a point where they uh, – where they, you know, they, they make these runs. and uh, I feel yeah. like State's a dangerous three seed right now, and if they win the Clemson series, all of a sudden they're, they're playing their, their way to a two seed. I mean, like 16 and 14 in the league and a RPI around 30-ish, they could be a two seed, which was unforeseen three weeks ago. Yeah, basically. I mean, they've been out of the tournament in our field of 64 the last few weeks. I, that's going to change this week. So... Great stuff. We have a lot of questions. Uh, I appreciate our re- readers and listeners for those. Uh, I have to go fix Mike's vo- vocals. You were you were low in my mix, Mike. I'm sorry. Oh, my bad. I should have had you say "unique New York" a few more times. <laughs> I think you, I think you threw it off with a ham horn, so that might have um, been part of the problem. So, um, but we'll fix the levels in post, and we'll remind you that Louisville Slugger sponsors all of our baseball America college uh, baseball coverage. Uh, there's power in numbers with Louisville Slugger. Follow them on Twitter and on social media at Slugger Nation. So for Ted Cahill and Mike Lennan, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for listening to this Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards.
Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.